Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right, we are getting into a brand new series today, and I am very excited about it. Uh, Starting today and for the next four weeks leading up until Easter, we are going to be talking about this subject, All Hail. Everybody say, All Hail. Be careful how you say that, because it can get a little suspect if you say it wrong. All Hail. Yes, All Hail. Uh, And specifically, we're going to be discussing the subject of worship. What happens when we lift up our voices individually and collectively and we give honor and glory and praise to our God? A subject that I am very passionate about as a musician, uh, kind of a retired musician. Some of you may not know that I'm a musician. I used to be. Uh, I've been dethroned by a Brazilian and a teenage girl, but I used to sit back there behind the drums. Uh, Destiny, where are you at? The uh, dethroner herself. Yeah, over there. Okay. She's playing next weekend. But I used to be a musician and I am very passionate about the subject of worship. Uh, And actually, I'm excited to announce that during this series, we won't just be discussing worship in this room, uh, but our kids space is also going to be discussing worship as well. And they're going to be following along with all the same teachings. And so if you've got kids in kids church, this is a great opportunity to embrace this as a family, practice it as a family, uh, to test your kids and make sure they're paying attention in there because you're going to know what they're talking about because we're talking about the same stuff. But man, I I think it's going to be so powerful as our whole body kids, adults alike, as we discuss the same subject, we're talking about the same things, embracing the same things, unifying in this. I think it's going to be a very powerful and formative time for our church. So let's dive into it together as we do. Uh, We are going to, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be discovering and experiencing this value of song. But I need to, to, to point out up front that It isn't just singing that qualifies as worship. I I, want to make sure we're clear on that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your whole lives as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable act of worship. So, so worship is not just singing. It's not just the first 22 minutes of the service or, you know, the, the, the musical style or what you do in your car as you turn on the Father's House Dare to Hope album. Well, assumptive close there. Yes, uh, that's not the only thing that qualifies as worship. The whole totality of our lives is worship. Every time we give, it's worship. Every time we serve, it's worship. Every time we use our gifts to build the body of Christ, it is worship unto God. Our whole lives are supposed to look like worship. However, there is something significant that happens when we as individuals or a collective body of people lift up our voice and we sing to our God. It is powerful. And as I said, for the next few weeks, we're going to both experience and discover that significance. Um, And for that, we're going to need to adjust our service order ever so gently. So I'm going to give you a warning today, okay? I'm going to warn you today. We're never going to have this conversation again. You're just going to listen to it, all right? So follow directions. Um, Because of this series, we're going to switch up our service order, and we're not going to be doing as many songs at the beginning of our service as we might do traditionally. We're going to be peppering worship in uh, during the sermons and responding uh, by by song to a lot of what we're going to be discussing. And here's why that's important. I want to plead I want to compel, I will beg you if I have to, please show up to church on time for the next month. In fact, just show up to church on time all the time. That would be great. Uh, but for the next month, in fact, show up early. Let's go with early instead of on time. Um, but, but here's the deal. I want everybody 
to be engaged during this series. I want us to experience the full breadth of what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks. And in order to do that, we all need to be in the room together. So do whatever you got to do to get here on time. And, and plus, on a more practical note, I know sometimes it's, it's easy to sneak in late because the room is dark and there's smoke in the room and you can kind of come in under the cloak of worship and sit down in your seat. That's not going to happen because it's going to look like this in here and I'll be up here talking. And if you're late, everyone's going to be looking at you when you come in. I'm going to look at you as you come in and just... so, so let's just save all of ourselves the awkwardness and, uh, and be here on time. Uh, with that, I want to pray as we get into the series. And um, I, again, I believe this is going to be a very significant moment for our church. So in the name of switching things up, why don't we stand to our feet? And I want to pray us into this series uh, and, and kind of elevate our expectations a bit if I could. Why don't you lift your hands towards heaven if you're comfortable with that. And let's just, let's enter in right now. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our church. We thank you for your presence. I thank you that you are here right now, Holy Spirit. And as we enter into this conversation about worship, as we begin to, to look at what takes place when believers lift up their voice and they worship their king, I pray that the, the worship level of the Father's house would rise. Not just in this room, but God, I pray that believers would worship in cars and in workplaces and in homes and as they're walking down the streets and we would truly see a shift and a change in the environments we find ourselves in as a result of understanding, worshiping with spirit and with truth. Father, do something significant in our lives as we step into this. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and everybody said, amen, amen. Come on, tap someone next to you and sit back down. And let's get into it today. I said slap somebody last service and like I watched a little marital spat take place over here and I'm like, don't say it the second service, don't say it. All right, so as we get into the subject of worship, we need to start by discussing the issue of value. What kind of value do we as believers place on the subject of worship? Uh, the folks over at Gallup, they recently did a poll and uh, surveyed a few thousand Christians that attend church on Sunday mornings. And they asked this question, what do you value about your Sunday morning experience? What do you consider most important when you come to church? And, and the results of that survey were, were telling. Uh, the number one answer that people gave as to why they go to church is to listen to somebody talk. They come for the preaching. The sermons were the most important thing to everybody. Uh, they said, if the sermons are good, then we'll keep coming back to church. No pressure on the guy up here. Uh, but that was the number one reason people came, to be fed from the word. The second reason that people showed up to church was for their kids. They wanted a space where they could send their children to learn about God and be around godly influences. And if the children's ministry was good, then they'd keep coming back to church. Uh, the third reason that people voiced as to why they come to church is for community, for fellowship. They wanted to be in community with other believers and find some like-minded individuals to hang out with. And on and on the list went. Talked about feeling, uh, needing to feel hopeful and encouraged and finding a place for volunteer opportunities and all these different reasons that people value church. But down at the very bottom of that list, the very last thing was worship, was singing songs to God. It was at the very bottom of the list. In fact, the only time worship played a role in the value system of Christians was in style and in quality. In other words, if, if the worship team wasn't very good or if they didn't care for the musical style, I want gospel, I hate all of this Bethel stuff, then they would go to another church. Unless, of course, the preaching was good enough and the kids' ministry was good enough, in which case they would tolerate the worship and the bad musicianship and they'd keep coming back. And the conclusion of the survey was this. By and large, in 
the Church of Jesus Christ in America, worship is not really all that important. That was their conclusion. And, and that may not be all that surprising to us. I mean, let's dial it back for a moment and just think about the things we value personally. Let's get out of the corporate mindset and just think individually for a moment. Worship is probably not near the top of the list for most believers in their private settings. We probably value things like reading the Bible and prayer and community, coming to church. Like those things probably sit pretty high on the priority list. Singing songs and worship are probably somewhere down near the bottom. And listen, those things are important. Listen, if you're, if you're going to run after God, you need to read your Bible. You need to pray. You need some godly community. Get your butt into church on a Sunday morning. Those things are important. But so is worship. And it's hard to value something corporately that we don't value personally. And worship kind of sits down there near the bottom of the value system. And there's probably a few reasons that we don't place such a demand on worship or a value on worship. I'll give you two. I think one of the main reasons is because most Christians view their faith through the lens of a consumer. Our faith is more about what we get from God than it is what we give back to God. What do I need? What prayers do I need answered? Am I getting fed at this church? Do I like the style of the worship? I mean, when you think about the things that people said they valued, sermons, kids ministry, community, volunteer opportunities, like these are, in a lot of ways, what am I getting out of this? It's a consumer. Worship is one of the few things that we give back to God, along with our finances through tithing, which wasn't even on the list. Shocker there. Uh, But... If we value what we receive from God, but not what we give to God, then we become consumers in our Christianity. I think that's one of the main reasons. But, but secondly, and perhaps more importantly, which is what we're going to unpack over the course of the next few weeks, I think one of the main reasons we don't value worship is because we don't truly understand what happens in the spirit when we lift up the name of Jesus. I am convinced that if we could peel back the curtain in the natural if we could get a glimpse into the spiritual heavenly realm and we could see what's taking place when we do something as seemingly silly as lifting up our voices and singing to God, if we could see the battles that were being won, if we could see the victories that were taking place, if we could see the warfare that's taking place in the heavenlies, we would be all the more convinced to lift up our voices and to worship our God. I am convinced of it. And, and so that's the aim of this series. I, I wanna peel back the curtain in the natural I want to get a glimpse, get a taste, taste and see that the Lord is good. Get a taste of the glory. See what it tastes like. I I want to get a taste of the presence that becomes intoxicating spiritually, and we just cannot get enough of his presence. So, So to do that, we need to discuss purpose first. What is the purpose of worship? Uh, If you're a note taker, you can write this down, but this will be our thesis we're going to unpack today. The primary purpose of worship is nearness. The reason we worship is to be near to God. I I would assume that most of the people in the room here today desire to be close to God. You came to church, like most of us want to be close to God. I also know that on any given Sunday, there's a number of people here that are in the seeking process trying to figure out, do I believe in God? Is this thing real? I'm not quite sure. And let me just say, this is a safe place to vet that out. 
The Father's house is a safe place for you to not feel rushed in your journey and feel pressured to make a decision. Listen, you can come here and you can spectate and you can do whatever you need to do because that is in fact the most important decision of your life. And I don't want you to make it haphazardly, but our prayer is that by being, uh, be, being involved in the presence of Jesus long enough, you're gonna go, I will step over that line and I will follow him. That, that's the hope, but there's no pressure, no timeline. However, for those of us who have made that decision to follow Christ, there is this innate desire to be near to God, to be close to him. Uh, In biblical terms, to be in his presence. For we know that in the presence of Jesus is everything that we need. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. In his presence, there is healing. In his presence, there is freedom. In his presence, there is life, the Bible says, forevermore. And so we long to be in his presence because what we desire and what we need is in his presence. That's why we've got one of these values among our eight, uh, cultural values of the Father's house. It reads like this. It's experience God. Life is found in God's presence. And we will make a place every Sunday every time we gather for people to encounter him. Listen, our goal when you step into this room on a Sunday morning is not that you would encounter a worship team or a pastor or a friendly group of people in a parking lot or a well-executed service or a well-oiled machine. We want you to leave these doors when you walk out onto 19th Avenue and go, I met with God today. I was in the presence of the Holy One. Sermons will not change your life. Thanks, Tim. Worship will not change your life. Singing songs in and of itself will not change your life, but encountering the one who gave his life for you, encountering the one whose presence we're gathered under will change everything. I love the baptism story we heard at the first service today. It was a woman here who spent the vast majority of her life in the tenderloin and was heavily addicted to drugs and lost all of her children through CPS and having to give them up. And God has just restored her life exponentially as she's made this commitment to follow him. She mentioned in her testimony that one of her kids is now living with her again and she's in the process of getting her 12-year-old back. And she made this statement. She said, Lainey, the girl that was inviting me constantly to church while I was in in the tenderloin and living my life down there, finally I showed up to church. And when I witnessed a bunch of believers in that space, lifting up their voices and worshiping God, it brought me to tears. I melted. Why? Because she's emotional? Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) What was she experiencing? The presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus will accomplish things that nothing else can. The presence of God can set you free from decades of addiction. The presence of God can set you free from decades of failure. One moment in the presence of Jesus will transform everything about your life. That's why we prioritize it here. That's why we linger in worship. That's why we write songs. That's why we gather the first Tuesday of every single month and we do this thing called pursuit where for an hour all we do is worship and pray. Why? Because the presence is what matters most. That's It's the presence or bust. That's it. That's it for us. And fortunately, accessing the presence of God is not difficult. Think about it. If God knows that everything we need is in his presence, why would he keep it away from us? Why would he make it challenging to enter in? He doesn't. He makes it simple. The Bible says in in, in the book of James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It is that simple. It is not complicated. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The primary vehicle that God has given us to draw near to him is worship. 
singing songs to him. Uh, let, let me prove it to you. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you can open, open it up to the book of Psalms, chapter 100. We're going to spend the remainder of our time there today. Uh, if not, the, this will come up on the screen. But look at what the psalmist writes. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and go into his courts with praise. Those few verses contain the keys to accessing the presence of God. And we're going to unpack those keys for the next couple of moments. First of which is this. It does not require any talent for you to come into the presence of God, which is a good news piece for some folks in the room. Okay. Because what, what, what did it say? It said, make a joyful noise to the Lord, come into his presence with singing. See, I, I believe there's two different kinds of people in the room. There are legitimate singers, people who sang in the room. Come on. If you're a singer, lift your hand up real quick. Come on, be bold. You can be okay with that. Give me, give me a vocal run real quick just to prove it. Okay. So there's singers, and then there's the joyful noise people. We're all the joyful noise people in the room. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, give me a joyful noise real quick. Sound like a white girl at a party. Woo! Okay. <laughs> Singers and Joyful Noise folks, they're both mentioned there in song. And you know who you are. Well, maybe you don't know who you are. If American Idol has taught us anything, it's that you don't know who you are, okay? You could think you're a singer, but you're not a singer. Either way, even the talentless folks among us have been invited into the presence of God. And Psalm 100 tells us that. He says, enter his presence with singing. And then he tells us exactly how we are to sing. He says, come into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Gates, thanksgiving, courts, praise. Pay attention to that language because that is, that is palace imagery right there. We're talking about a royal habitation. The image we are supposed to see as we read Psalm 100 is that of a king and his kingdom in the palace. Now, I've met a number of people at the Father's house. I haven't met all of us, but I've yet to meet somebody who lives in a palace. If you live in a palace, please come introduce yourself to me after the service. I would love to know who you are. I'd love to come over for dinner, and I probably need to borrow a few bucks. All right, we're just going to toss that out there. But, so, so, so that might be foreign imagery to us. And in an effort to help, I've provided a visual, a visual aid for all of us today, just so that we can kind of wrap our heads around what the psalmist is saying here. So we're going to turn to the Queen of England and Buckingham Palace itself. And we're going to look at what the gates and the courts uh, look like in consideration of this text. So, see the gates here, the perimeter, the courts, the inner sanctum beyond that wall, and beyond there is where the queen lives. Gates, courts. Now, not notice where all the people are located. All the people are outside the gates. And in order for the people to go beyond the gates, they need to be given access from the queen. There's something that the queen has to say, some directive in order for them to access beyond that gate. And we are given prescriptively here in the text how we go beyond that gate and into those courts. So let's start with the gates. Uh, Psalm 100 verse 4 says that we enter his gates with, come on, say it like you mean it, his gates with thanksgiving, thanksgiving. Now that word thanksgiving in the Hebrew is the word tada. Everyone say tada. Say it with a little flair. Ta-da! Yes, okay, yeah. Ta-da! All the singers. Ta-da! <laughs> okay. Ta-da! And the word ta-da means lifting of the hands 
accompanied by a vocal offering of thanks. The lifting of the hands accompanied by a vocal offering of thanks. So when Galeramie or any of our other worship leaders are up here and they say, come on, lift your hands, lift your voice. This is what they're asking us to do. To, to, to offer vocally a thanks to God and to lift our hands. Just fair warning, this is not like us trying to teach you some Christian dance moves, okay? This is not like Christian calisthenics. We're not trying to replace, you know, twerking and the Tootsie Roll with like hands lifted and pogo jumping, all right? Which is about all Christians know how to do. It's like only a white girl taught all the Christians how to dance, okay? Tell me you're white without telling me you're white. So good. If someone was soul taught Christians how to dance, it would look a lot different. Okay. No, this is tada. It is lifting our hands, lifting our voice, telling God, thank you for what you have done in my life. It's biblical. They're asking us to do something that scripture commands us to do in order to enter his gates. Listen, thanksgiving is a really big deal to God. He cares deeply that you have the ability to look back at what he's done for you and say, thank you. It is perhaps the number one way that we combat that consumer Christian mentality by saying, thank you, acknowledging, thank you for what you've done. If we are not careful, we can find ourselves asking God for everything and thanking him for nothing. Treating God like a vending machine that if we just do the right thing, push the right buttons, he's going to give me what I want. But never, no one's ever said thank you to a vending machine. Thank you so much. No, no, he wants our gratitude. He wants our response. You know what it's called when you expect everything but thank someone for nothing? You know what it's called? Ungrateful. Sorry. It's not a fun word. It's reality ungrateful Christianity. And you might say, well, Tim, I'm not ungrateful. I, I'm, I'm grateful for what God has done in my life. Okay, cool. Maybe you are. Have you told him? Better yet, have you sung it to him? Because as the old saying goes, it's not thanks until it's given. It requires being vocalized. And I wonder how many believers find themselves at a distance from God outside the gates because they don't know how to say Thank you. You ever been around someone who just doesn't know how to say thank you? You ever been around some ungrateful people? If you have kids, the answer is yes. You have been around someone who does not know how to say thank you. You know what I'm talking about though, right? Like someone who you can do all the nice stuff for them. You serve them. You help them. And they just sort of expect it. And there's never any gratitude on the other side of it. Or, or the only thing they offer in response is critique about how you could have done it differently. And never gratitude. You know what I'm talking about, right? Been around one of those people? I, I like to think that, you know, my wife and I have done a good job of instilling gratitude in the hearts of our children. And for the most part, our, our kids are very grateful for all that they've experienced. But there is one area where we need to do a little more work as parents, and that is in the area of, of food. Uh, my, my kids are not grateful sometimes for the food that they receive. Specifically, one of my children, and I will not mention her name, because if I do and she listens to the podcast, I don't even know if she does that, but... I will get in trouble. I have been reprimanded for telling stories, so we're going to protect her name right now. But one child in particular is very picky about what she eats. And as a result of being that picky, she's very picky about what her parents provide to her. She likes to offer some critique. 
I think my kids have it pretty good. I'm just going to go on, on record saying that. Like, my wife and I work hard to feed our children well, okay? I'm going to boast in the Lord, of course. But um, we wake up every single morning early, spend an hour with the Lord, we pray, and then we begin to slave in the kitchen for our children. I provide breakfast for my daughters every single, and, and by provide breakfast, I try not to do the like horse feeding trough where I just put cereal in front of them and, you know, some milk and splash it in there. Like I actually try, you know, I'll, I'll bake breads for them and I'll put pancakes and waffles together for them in the mornings. Like I feed them for real. And my wife is in there over a cutting board sweating, just, you know, cutting shapes into their sandwiches and writing notes and cutting up vegetables to make sure it's a balanced meal. And then we place it kindly and nicely inside of their lunch boxes. And every morning, these ungrateful children come out of their beds, <laughs> wiping sleep from their eyes, and they begin to assess what we have prepared for them in the kitchen. Like, is that what I'm having for lunch? Is it, that's breakfast today? Literally, one of my kids, I almost said her name, one of my kids called Robin from school this week just to voice her disapproval with the food that she found inside of her lunchbox during her lunch break. I'm like, I will backhand a child right now in the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Every parent in the room knows how frustrating that is, right? Like every parent in the room has had a moment where you just want to snap on your child and offer a little bit of perspective. Do you have any idea what I have done? Do you know the sacrifices I have made? Do you know how much money I spend just to keep you alive? Do, do you know how many hours of sleep I have lost simply because you exist, all right? I was there for your birth. I know what your mama went through, just bringing you into this world. I've given you life. I've given you food. I've given you clothing. I put a shelter over your head. Where is the gratitude? You see where this is going, right? Yeah, sometimes we're just another ungrateful kid complaining about what God put into our lunch boxes. Sometimes it's God. I thought I'd be further along than now. Where, where's the opportunities? Where's the money? I need a, a better house. I need a better spouse. I need a better blouse. <laughs> Just run in our mouths, complaining about what we have don't even have any margin to offer thanks because we're so busy complaining about what we don't have and telling God what we think we need in order to be satisfied. Gratefulness, gratitude. And listen, I'm not here to minimize what you're walking through right now. I know that there are people in this room that are going through hell and high water in your life. And you should be praying regularly about those things. You should be coming to God and telling him what you need. But be careful that in focusing on the single problem in your life, you do not eclipse all of the things that you should be grateful for in your life because you have a reason to be grateful to God today. Come on, he put breath in your lungs. He put a skip in your step. 
Most of us in the room have food on the table. Most of us have clean water to drink. Most of us have homes that we can sleep in. Most of us are not being bombed right now simply because we live in a certain part of the world. We're not being executed because we are part of a different tribe. Come on, you got a great city that you live in, a great church that you're a part of, decent pastors that are leading you in this process. Come on, you got a reason to, ta-da, you have a reason to lift your hands and to lift your voice and to tell God that you're grateful today. And when we do, we enter into his gates. His gates with ta-da, with thanksgiving. But it doesn't end there. Bring that graphic back up on the screen. We don't just stay at the gates. We, we, we must go into the courts. And while thanksgiving gets us through the gates, there's something else that's required to get into the courts. What did the second half of that scripture say? We enter the gates with thanksgiving and we enter his courts with praise, with praise. Uh, that word praise in the Hebrew is the word tehillah. Make sure you pronounce that one correctly as well. <laughs> no, you do not enter into his presence with tequila, okay? Just, just to be clear. <laughs> Someone's thinking, sweet! Hang on! <laughs> That's when you know you're a part of a ratchet church right there. Okay. <laughs> tequila. And it means a song of adoration that is demanded by the qualities or deeds or attributes of God. In other words, this is simply a vocal outcry, a song of acknowledgement. It's a divine revelation of who God is that demands a response. In other words, when I see God for who he truly is, when I get a glimpse of his nature and his character, I cannot help myself but to respond with praise, with adoration. When we begin to sing things like, you are mighty to save, you are the healer, you are the great liberator. You are the omniscient one. You are the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the creator of all the worlds, all the earth. All of this was born by your mouth, by your voice. One word, you created the heavens and the earth. When we sing, you are the God that opened up the Red Sea as we did a moment ago. We sing, you are the God that slayed the giant or you're the God that kept his covenant for a thousand generations. What is that? That's adoration. It's praise, it's tehillah, it's acknowledging, God, you are holy, holy, holy. And that seems simple enough, but that can be challenging in our humanity. And the reason that can be challenging in our humanity is because sometimes the thing that you're singing does not align with your reality. Sometimes, the declaration you are making about God is inconsistent with what you are experiencing in the natural. Let me say it like this. Sometimes praise becomes a paradox. You're singing about a healer while you're still suffering with sickness. You're singing about a provider while you still have a need. You're praising the God that is a deliverer while you are still struggling with addiction. You're singing, you're the way maker and the miracle worker while you are still waiting for him to make a way in your situation or bring a miracle to your prayer. It's a paradox. But it's a beautiful paradox. It's a paradox that I witness every single weekend here at the Father's house. I know that as we're worshiping I, I'm usually standing down here and I should probably be paying attention and you know, facing this direction, but I can't help myself sometimes. I'll often, you'll catch me do this, kind of turn around and look at the room and just 
Watch people worship. Sorry if that makes you feel awkward. I stare at you sometimes. <laughs> but you know what I witness when I watch people worship? I worship a praise paradox. I see some people that are singing songs that are inconsistent with their realities. I, I see people that are singing, you were a healer then, you are a healer now, you are the same God, but they're sick. Or their children are sick. And they haven't seen the healer come yet. I see people who I know are in need singing, you were a provider then, you are providing now, you are the same God. With tears in their eyes, people who've been praying for their children, family members to come back to Christ, asking God to open up a door, whatever it is, making this paradoxical declaration. You answered prayers back then. I'm pretty sure you're going to answer prayers now. <laughs> you are the same God. The same God. What is that? That's a paradox. It doesn't make sense, but there's something inside of you that refuses to allow your situation to silence your song. And if you are in that space today, if you are lifting up praise in the middle of a paradox, can I just say, thank you for showing us what true worship looks like. Come on, that's when worship becomes an act of faith. That's when worship is not predicated on your circumstance, but it acknowledges God, regardless of what I'm going through right now, you are still worthy of praise. That's what worship looks like. And there's a promise. The promise is when you can praise like that, you will enter into the courtroom of God. You will be in his presence. The courts are reserved for those who know how to praise God on the mountain and in the valley. Who know how to praise God when things are answered and when you're still waiting for that answer to come. Who praise God through every season. No, that's what the courts are all about. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with tehillah, with praise. Now, that's where Psalm 100 leaves us. That's as close as we get. Because that's as close as the psalmist ever got. He didn't, he didn't have access beyond that point. But, but all of that changed with Jesus. All of that changed when the God-man himself came to earth and walked among us and gave his life on a cross. One of the things we'll discuss in one of the future weeks in the series is the great miracle of what took place when Jesus breathed his last on the cross and he declared, it is finished. The Bible tells us that there was a veil in the temple that was torn from top to bottom, signifying that it was God himself tearing this veil. And that veil used to separate all of humanity from the presence of God. Only a few select people could access the holiest place. But with the tearing of that veil, the presence of God was made accessible to every single person who wanted to enter, regardless of who you were. The great promise of Jesus' death on the cross is that you now have greater access than the psalmist did. And you are not simply restricted to the gates or the courts, but there is an even greater nearness available to us today, and that is the throne room of God. Let me show you what it looks like. And as we do, the band's gonna come because we're gonna respond to this in worship in just a moment. But Hebrews 4 reads like this. So then, 
since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of grace. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. There is a nearness that has been made available to us beyond the gates, beyond the courts. It is the very throne of God. The throne room of God, the same place that Isaiah said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I do not belong here. Has been made available to you and I. Us. Broken fractured, frail, sinful humanity has been given access to the throne of God. Right now as we sit in this room, scripture tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and he is sitting on a throne. And there's angels circling that throne all day long singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And yet somehow we have been been granted access to that space where the presence of Jesus is. But it's not by thanksgiving. It's not by praise. Something else is needed to get here. Grace. Grace gets us to this throne. I want to show you how this works. Uh, Grace Lazar, would you please come up on stage for me real quick? Ladies and gentlemen, would you welcome Grace Lazar to the stage? Grace, I want you to sit on that throne where you belong. <laughs> yeah, get comfortable. It's going to be great. And, and let me show you how, how this works. So according to scripture, we enter the gates with thanksgiving. We enter the courts with praise. So I'm going to come to the outer gates here. You guys thought you were safe from the cameras up here. Nope. I just want to sit in the rafters so that nobody sees me. Too late. Hey, Al, how you doing? So, so here I am. In, in the gates. If, if you don't want to turn around, I'm also up there, I think, as well. Okay. Okay. Do I look this small from up here? Oh, wow, it's okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Al. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. I do this every morning. I'll, I'll let you into my, my secret place for a moment. What does it mean? Lift your hands. Lift a, a vocal gratitude to God. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. I take every blessing that you've given to me and I turn it back to you. I thank you. I thank you for my beautiful wife of almost 18 years. God, that you've kept our marriage strong. Through every season, every trial, you've kept us united. I thank you for my two beautiful daughters, the answer to prayer. Thank you that you spared Ellie's life last year and she did not end in death, but God, you've given her more time on this earth. I thank you that every one of our needs has always been met. You've always provided. Even when it looked like we were getting down to the wire, you still provided for us. I thank you that my family knows you. My kids love your presence in your house. and They love your word. I thank you for the amazing community of believers I get to gather with every single Sunday, for the church that you've given us and the city that you've called us to. You didn't have to, but you called us to this place. And God, I enter your gates with thanksgiving. 
Thank you for what you're doing in and through the lives of people in our church every single week. Thank you for five baptisms today. Thank you for the four that are scheduled for next weekend. Thank you for saving people in this house and restoring lives and marriages. I've gone through the gates. Now I'm at the threshold of the courts. And God, in light of all of that, I praise you right now. I praise you for who you are. You're the God that's not done with this city, but the God that still has a plan for San Francisco. You're the God that walks through the streets of the tenderloin and you beg, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You are creator, you are healer, you are provider. You are all knowing, all powerful. There's nothing that can stand in your presence the mention of the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. The Bible says that your voice splits the mighty cedars. It twists the oaks. Nothing can stand in the presence of Jesus. And I honor you and I praise you today. Now I'm in the courts. But, but there's nothing I can do to get from here to there. No, no action I can offer up that allows me access to the throne. In order for me to get there, grace has to leave the throne and usher me in. I, I, I need an usher. I need an advocate. I need what Hebrews chapter four called a great high priest because they were the only ones that had access to the throne. And when the great high priest by grace brings me into this space, I get to experience the nearness of God in a way that I would have never experienced from the courts. Only grace can get me here. And it is imperative that you understand this because listen to me very closely. One of the greatest enemies of worship is unworthiness. And unworthiness will keep you in the courts of God. Unworthiness will make it all about what you can do to get to God, but it will neglect what God has done to get to you. Unworthiness will keep you right here where so many people live thinking I gotta clean myself up. I, I, I know how messed up I am and my sin and my failure and my past and the thing that I did. I, I, I know too much about myself. So I'm gonna stay at a distance never truly accessing the throne of God. But, but what did the scripture say? What did it say was waiting for us at that throne? You, you remember, let's, let's put it on the screen one more time. Hebrews 6, uh, 14, verse six. So let us come boldly to the throne of grace. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Mercy is not here, it is there. It is at the throne. Let me ask you a dumb question. When do you need mercy most? Not when you're crushing it as a Christian. Not when your prayer life is strong and your family's intact and all the little boxes on your version are checked because you've been reading your Bible every day and you got a streak going. No, you need mercy when you failed. You need mercy when you do the thing that you told God you wouldn't do again. You need mercy when you yelled at your kids or when you partied a little too hard last night or you drank a little bit too much or you pushed the envelope of purity. That's when you need mercy. 
But mercy is not found out here in the courts where you try to clean yourself up and dust yourself off until you feel worthy enough to come to God. No, mercy is found when grace comes to where you are at, where the Son of God leaves heaven and he comes to the broken earth that he created and he says, I will make a way for you to approach me where it's not about what you've done, but it's about the sufficiency of what I have already done for you. I gave my life, I shed my blood, I've made my grace available to you and now you can stand in this place where you don't deserve to be, but I've made a way by my grace. Grace brings us here. Thank you, Grace. You can take your seat. Give it up for Grace. (laughs) When you understand that, you can come boldly here. You don't have to come with timidity. It's an unworthy plebeian that doesn't belong in the presence of God. Now, what does it start out by saying? Therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace where you can obtain mercy. And that's how we're gonna conclude our service today. We're gonna come boldly before the throne of grace. We're gonna encounter the presence of Jesus in a powerful way here today. And here's how we're gonna conclude. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. That is not an invitation to leave. If you walk out those doors, you've learned nothing today. It's an invitation to linger, to give God what he's due to actually give something back instead of just receiving what he has for us, to truly worship him today. We're gonna sing one more song. And as we do, why don't you stand to your feet? And as we just learned, in fact, if you'd like, I know that some of you like to worship down in this area, you're welcome to join us at the altars here as well, whatever you wanna do. But as you've just learned, let's start by giving God some thanks. I'm gonna have the band swell for just a moment. And as they get a little bit louder, why don't we lift our hands towards heaven? And why don't we just begin to thank God? Come on, with your own words, whatever gratitude wells up in your heart. God, even if I didn't have any of those things that I need, you still provided for my greatest need. You gave me salvation through the blood of Jesus. My name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. Come on, let gratitude well up in your heart today. Tell them what you're grateful for. Come on, another 10 seconds. Embrace the discomfort of this. Embrace the discomfort of it. We give you all, all the thanks, all the thanks. Now come on, shift it to praise. Begin to adore him this morning. Tell him who he is. Who has he been to you? Who has he been in your past? Who is he right now? Maybe he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. The one who walks into the situation with you and doesn't leave you alone in the bottom of a pit. Come on, give him some praise this morning. We praise your name today. Holy, holy is the Lord God. And now, Father, we come before your throne. We thank you that you've granted us access by your grace. And as we sing one more time today, we come boldly before the throne of grace. And we're going to experience your presence in a powerful way. Come on, let's sing one last time before we leave this place.
He's acquainted with our grief, a man of sorrow, son of suffering, blood and tears. How can it be? There's a God who weeps. There's a God who believes. Oh, praise the
Every head bowed, every eye closed for one more moment here. Oh, we honor your presence in this place, Jesus. Thank you for granting us access to the throne, for bringing us close. Just we conclude here today, there's, uh, I wanna take a moment and just invite anyone who would say, hey, Tim, I'm one who has yet to to come into that kind of a relationship with God. I, I have not experienced this nearness because I've never made the decision to step over that line and follow him. Today, I want you to see the picture that was just illustrated for you. Grace is coming to where you're at right now. You don't have to clean yourself up to get to God. He's coming to you. He's saying, hey, follow me, follow me. Just just come after me. Um, If that's you this morning, I want to take a moment and pray a very simple prayer of commitment with you. Um, But before I do that, I'd like to see who I'm praying with because I do pray for you during the week. So today you need to make that decision to, to follow Christ as a sign of acknowledgement, would you just quickly look up at me and lift your hand so that I know who I'm praying with? Yeah, brother, that's awesome. Yeah, right over there, man. Yeah. Yeah, I got you in the back there. Awesome. Yeah, right on, bro. Right over there. Come on, lots of people coming to Christ today. Thank you, Jesus. That's the main thing. All right, I'm going to say a prayer. You can just repeat it after me in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. But you can just say, hey, Jesus, today I give you my life. Thank you for giving yours for mine. Today I choose to follow you. I thank you for your grace that meets me where I'm at. I believe that you are the one who came to earth and died on a cross for me. And as a result of what you've done today, I receive your forgiveness and I receive the new life that's available in you. Help me to be your disciple, to walk in your ways from today forward until that day where I see you in heaven, right there at the throne. And you look at me and you say, well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy that's been set before you. Today, I give you all of me and I receive all of you in return. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Come on, lift one more shout of praise for every one of those who prayed that prayer. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.